The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Things are getting a little crazed in the uncontrolled airspace world as we approach the annual pilgrimage to Oshkosh. The gang had to do a missed approach on their regular Thursday morning gathering, but they finally got on the glide slope Saturday evening for some virtual R&R. There's lots of aviation happening in Wichita, light sport and hot jets. The altar lights gathered in New Hampshire for some flybys and a wet off-field landing. And Dave and Jeb have a slightly different view on the safety of light twins. All this and more in Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 37. Late, but just as long. And man, what a day for flying. We got the Blue Angels seeing Stearman and Wacko's in the air. Being the designated Cessna guy here in the virtual hangar, I never stopped enjoying flying 152s. I'm going to take partial exception to twins are hard to fly. They are harder on a single engine than a single is on a single engine. All right, the uh, the no cursing lamp is on. Oh, what the? <laughs> and I'll push the button, and I'll say... Uh, oh, man, you push our button so good. I'll say, uh, good evening, folks, and welcome to episode number 37 of Uncontrolled Airspace. That was, that was Higdon. Higdon. H-I-G-D-O-N. The General Aviation Podcast. I'll tell you, um, things have gotten more than a little crazy in the world of uncontrolled airspace this past week, and... So we were unable to get together on our usual Thursday morning gathering in the virtual hangar, but we've managed to take a short break from all the pre-Oshkosh craziness to kick back in the virtual hangar here on Saturday evening, July and We have 14th. a description for that. It's called... Yeah, it, we, a couple of us were... All three of us were near the breaking point at least once during this past week, and uh, <laughs> we, we've made it so far, and, uh, and now we're going to have a little bit of uh, 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 mental health time here to uh, just chat a little bit <laughs> now, about... Now we're really going to break down yes yeah, right. <laughs> are you and, sure there's uh, the no cursing lamp is lit i hope so i, I got the little button the little beeper button here so uh, beep, oh what the beep. The, the kids will be safe <laughs> and those wouldn't folks wa- wouldn't want wouldn't want to say anything that would upset bill o'reilly as usual with me this evening in the virtual hangar dave higdon talking to us from wichita kansas dave is a hey aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine, uh, who can't get a good steak. Can't get a good <laughs> steak, but man, good seafood. Uh, and man, what a day for flying around here. we got the Blue Angels out on the east side of town, oh, been huh? seeing Stearman and, uh, and Wacko's in the air, the CAF guys have been out. That's the, uh, what's that, the McConnell, is that what it is? McConnell Air Force Base, yeah. open house, yeah, today and uh, tomorrow. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's like, I know it's there. I just wish I could be there. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. Should sneak away tomorrow and go see the blues fly. Oh, uh, maybe. Maybe. Go, go get outside the fence. I probably won't go in. I won't get out. I won't go in the gate to see the blues fly. Right. I'll, just find some place outside the fence. and. Uh, right. Yeah. Why are the Blue Angels... Um, Flying at an Air Force Base open house show. Oh, that's that's pretty common. Uh, you know that it varies from year to year. Now, this is their first year here in uh, in five, I believe it is, uh-huh. and we've had the uh, T-Birds in the year since. But uh, uh, 
they've been here several times in the 16 years we've been here. And one of those years, I got to do a demo ride with them. Ah! Really cool. Cool. Yes, yes. Is, that other voice here in the virtual hangar is, of course, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. He is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? Hi, Jack. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Now, I had heard someplace along the line, uh, to your point about the Blues flying at an Air Force base, they do, I believe, have a restriction that they will not appear at anything that's not based at a military base. Like if you have your regional fly-in at the local big GA airport. That, that may well be the case. I know they have certain physical restrictions on the boxes in which they can perform. Right. And many locations, such as AirVenture, do not qualify. That's correct. For whatever reasons. Sun and Fun used to, but no longer uh-huh. does. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. When uh, when the city of Lakeland kind of expanded into what was uh, uh, what what they wanted to be the safe area uh-huh. beyond the airport fence, uh, we, the Sun and Fun stopped getting the uh, big military demo teams. Uh, it's a pity, but it is, it is for the safety of all the people on the footprint. Right. And it's not like accidents haven't happened before. That's right. That's right. So true. So what's going on in aviation? Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, I keep doing that. At the other end of the spectrum, as a change of pace, uh, on the other hand, <laughs> Cessna this past week made a commitment that they're going to uh, build and, and sell their light sport aircraft, right? That's, that's going to be very, very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I heard something about that around here. Yeah, yeah uh, that's yeah. It's probably probably hard uh, to imagine to be just talked about in Wichita. What do you hear, Dave? I mean, do you in fact hear anything from your, your sources out there in the Wichita area? Yeah, uh, I hear that it's it's going to be a little bit of a departure from the uh, uh, the proof of concept, the POC that folks have seen uh, if they've attended last year's Air Venture, this year's Sun and Fun, or the uh, AOPA convention in between last. Uh, October uh, or November, early November, I guess it was, uh, which tells us that uh, they've uh, determined some things from their test flying, from their market survey, and from looking at how they're going to manufacture it, and decide that something a little different from the POC is is what's uh, what's in order. The obvious uh, question is, do you know what will be different? Uh, it's going to have two seats. It's going to have a gross weight of 1,320 pounds. Right. Uh, maximum speed is, is uh, uh, 120 knots. But then that's you know what applies to all the LSAs. Right. Uh, that's that's standard LSA fare. Right. Uh, uh, what engine? You know that's one of the $64 questions, and they're playing that really close. Uh-huh. Uh, in visiting with a uh, kit importer and future. LSA, SLSA, and ELSA supplier uh, earlier this week. Uh, you know, they, and talking to some other companies that are in the LSA business, uh, I'd be really, really stunned if it was not uh, the Rotax 912S. Uh-huh. Uh, really? I, I thought the move was away from using the Rotax in a lot of these smaller aircraft. Well, actually, it is, but it's not a. It, it's not to moving uh, airplane, uh, to moving to airplane engines that create an eighty-pound weight penalty. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Now we're talking about this weight range. Now there's some a couple of couple of uh, companies that are trying to break into this, but there's no widespread alternative yet to uh, to to Rotax. Right. Uh, now the one at eight and hundred horsepower range. 
The one they had at Sun and Fun was it had an, a Continental O two hundred in it. That had the O two hundred on it. They uh, installed the O two hundred. They uh, designed a new cowl uh, uh-huh. that, to me, looked like uh, uh, the cowl on a cassette. Or you know, if you if you're wildlife oriented, a chipmunk with its mouth full of nuts. Uh-huh. Uh, real cheeky cow, very tight around the engine. Uh, and from what my my friends at Cessna tell me, that, that the uh, the the issue was that some of the people that uh, turned in surveys that they solicited at AirVenture and AOPA right. Expo uh, last year were very you know very supportive of the Rotax. Some of their more institutionally geared potential customers, companies that are customers for the 172 now for training, <laughs> large flight schools, uh, they were kind of clamoring for the O200. And it's not difficult to, to, to see their point. Uh, you know, sure. Their maintenance shops are familiar with it. Uh, they may be already equipped to, to work on an O200 uh, because they had 150s or 152s in the fleets at some time. Uh, but uh, and and the O two hundred is you know just a workhorse motor. Uh, sure it is. It is. Uh, here's otherwise, my, here's, it wouldn't been around for sixty years. Yeah. Here's where I was headed with those questions. Any talk of Lycoming coming out with a, a sub one hundred horsepower engine? Do they have in their lineup a sub one hundred horsepower engine? I have not heard anything about it, and and that's the other thing that wouldn't you know shock me. Uh, it would be like very cool. Wow, uh-huh. you know the, they were able to keep it all in the family. If, for those of you that may not know this, Lycoming and Cessna are both owned, and Macaulay Propellers, not incoincidentally, are all owned by uh, Textron. And so it is with the current crop of Cessna piston singles. They all have Lycoming engines, and they all have Macaulay props. Uh, something coming out of Lycoming, out of Williams. Uh, Williamsport PA uh, that's new and suitable to this engine would be, I think, just phenomenal. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not hearing anything about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just got to speculate on things like that when they're talking about engines. Oh, sure. Well, and you know the O the O235, which is another great workhorse engine. You know, 115 horse in some applications. It's what Cessna. Uh, put in the 150 to make it the 152. Gave it a few right. more ponies and and uh, a, a little fewer uh, cooling problems, but more uh, pronounced plug fouling problems from uh, low lead <laughs> fuel. But uh, you know it suffers with the same uh, weight issue that the O200. It's right. a lot heavier than a Rotax 912. Right. And so do Rotax we... 912 has the benefit of actually being designed pretty much for this category of airplane. So, do we have any guesses, or has Cessna said anything about what they're going to how they're going to price this LSA? Well, you know the uh, the uh, the stuff that Cessna execs and, and insiders talked about in the past is has got to still be appropriate, and uh, and that's Cessna recognizes that uh, a lot of the uh, uh, very attractive, very uh, uh, desirable LSAs out there now. Are pretty seriously breaking the six-figure barrier, mm-hmm. uh, but there's another crop, comfortably under six figures, that are doing fairly well on their own and and showing signs of uh, picking up some momentum. Uh, you know, Cessna wants the airplane. Uh, we've all heard to be under a hundred thousand uh, dollars. You know, if they could bring a base model in at yeah. eighty-five and have one, you know, 
upscale and better equipped for a hundred, hundred and five. I'm not sure that they could build them as fast as they could sell them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of other unanswered questions, too, where we've heard rumblings that uh, don't answer the question but tell you the range of their thinking. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, the, uh, the question of where will they build this? Uh, a lot of the folks in, uh, in the community are, are betting that it will be uh, uh, built under a partnership with an overseas firm, mm-hmm. substructures shipped to the United States and assembled, uh, much the way many of the uh, more popular higher performing LSAs are coming into the country right now like the the CT Uh, that would certainly give them some uh, some economies that they may not be able to realize here in the states we're sorry to say Uh, but you know you can count on three things for Cessna I mean this is they're a marketing juggernaut one whatever they say it's gonna do it's gonna do Uh, two it's gonna be a good value in the market because they know good value sells and three, they're just going to sell the hell out of them because they're Cessna and they've got this service network and this dealer network that, you know, my, my apologies to my good friends at the, at the competitors, nobody else in the business has uh, even close to it. Right. Yeah, I mean, Cessna is like a machine. When they say they're going to build an airplane uh, on such and such a date and fly it on such and such a date and have it certified by such and such a date, they... Uh, I think 99 times out of 100, and certainly uh, in my recent memory over the last you know dozen years or so, they have always hit the mark or bettered it. And uh, yeah, so whatever, they, whatever they whatever they say they're going to do with this airplane, I think you can pretty much take to the bank. Um, they have to come in under 100,000 for an equipped airplane. It may not it may not be decked out, but it has to be equipped for under six figures. Uh, yeah, and uh, to make a dent in this market, there's just a mental barrier there that they can't change. And Cessna is more than capable of doing that, depending on you know their their overseas suppliers. Uh, if in fact they are going to build it overseas, yeah, if uh, they're going to do it overseas, uh, you know, I don't think there's a a, a a pilot in North America that wouldn't love to see him build it, you know, wholly here in the USA. Oh, sure, sure, uh, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, a little airplane that. That was my uh, uh, privilege to fly earlier this week. The uh, kit, engine, prop, pretty much 80% of built. Uh-huh. 40, 41000 $42,000. Wow. The importer says he's going to be able to price it as a uh, standard equipped LSA for about sixty uh-huh. when he gets his SLSA later this year. Uh-huh. Uh, Can you tell us his name? Uh, sure, it was the uh, Corsario. Uh, it's a uh, 25-year-old design from Brazil. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a little piece for Kipling, so I'm not going to delve deeply into what I said or what I'm saying about it in the article. Oh, it's just the but, three of us. Come on. But the uh, yeah, the three of us and the, the, the little handful of listeners and my mother. Uh, Your mother subscribes but, uh, too. Your mother oh, listens. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know she. My my, my brother has to get. That's, that's the only way she'll hear your voice. Computer. It sort of. Yeah. Uh, but Randy Randy Schlitter out at Rands uh, out in Hayes, Kansas, in the northwest part of the state. His S7S. That's a two-place tandem tail wheel uh, demi bush plane with doors on both sides that you can open in flight. Hundred horse rotax. Uh, it'll motor along at about 120 miles an hour very comfortably. Uh, uh, standard equipped price on that is about eighty-five to eighty-eight thousand dollars. 
and that's all built right 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 here in Kansas. Uh, so I right have here little, in River City. Yeah, right here in River City. So I have no doubt that uh, if if Cessna is going ahead with this, this is going to be one very competitive airplane. Because in every market Cessna dabbles, they make very competitive airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they they remind me of Boeing in a lot of ways. They know how to design, they know how to execute, they know how to market, and they know how to time their schedule so that they very rarely have to say mea culpa. Uh-huh. Right. Looking forward to it. I'm the desi- being the designated Cessna guy here in the uncontrolled uh, airspace virtual <laughs> hangar. Um, I've always, you know, I, unlike you guys, you guys are the cross country flyers, and I'm more of the kind of fly around the area. You know, go go a couple hour, an hour away or so for the for the hundred dollar or two hundred dollar hamburger. And um, I, I've always, I never stopped enjoying flying one fifty twos. Oh yeah. So uh, oh yeah. So no, I still, I still if you look at that. the airplane, and I I soloed in a one fifty, and and I have more than hours than I care to think about in. 150s and 152s, and if you look at the the, the Cessna LSA, and it's, it's just a high tech uh, modernized 150. Yeah. It really, that's yeah. really all it is, and that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a very Absolutely. very good thing. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was something of a disappointment. Uh, you know, jumping back in time, let's take our way back machine to 1996. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, Russ Meyer has gotten his uh, the industry's uh, fondest desire, the General Aviation Revitalization Act, which set the 18-year statute of repose. And 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 Russ had said, for a long time, we get this law on the book. That's coming back into distant business. Uh, no two-seater. Right. And one of the main reasons why no two-seater was, again, their institutional customers were telling them that we really don't want two-seaters because with four-seaters, we're putting an observer student in the back. They're not able to log time as flight instruction, but they are able to absorb valuable uh, information and seasoning by watching another student struggle and screw up. Uh, well, you know the the. Yeah, yeah, Link, sit in my back seat and see that. I mean, you know. yeah, yeah, and you know, pony up a little toward the gas. Uh, but That's right. The, the, the landscape's changed a little bit. Uh, well, let's face it. In the last eighteen months, all you got to do to go to the pump is see the landscape's changed a lot. And uh, uh, suddenly, the uh, two-place airplane is a lot more attractive again to the uh, institutional flight schools, particularly a two-place airplane at six figures or less. Right. Uh, with and, with proven components that that uh, are at least as proven as they can be. Uh, right. Off-the-shelf stuff, for the most part, I'm sure, but uh, uh, it's got to be simple. It's got to be maintainable, and it's got to have good flying characteristics. Well, and it's got to uh, be sturdy to put up with what flight schools put up. Exactly, there. that's right. Exactly. Uh, and the uh, you know the uh, the bottom line is when, when when you've got a physical constraint like 1,320 pounds uh, from which to work, you got a physical constraint in weight, you got a physical constraint in stall speed, and a physical constraint in top speed. Uh, under the LSA rules, that really hems you in in terms of what you can do, and that's why my gut instinct is that at the end of the day, this is not going to be an O200 powered airplane, right. because of what you're going to give up in useful load to carry that extra 80 pounds. Uh, now, knowing how savvy these folks are, I can see institutional customers uh, being offered packages with their mass orders of Cessna sports that include, uh, you know, uh, help in setting up a maintenance shop and training their mechanics and working on not just the airframe, but the uh, the Rotax. Yeah. 
And this country is, you know, earlobe deep in Rotac's expertise because of the very, very capable uh, support network that Rotax is, and, and distribution network that Rotax has established in the, uh, when did I first fly on a Rotax engine? In the 24, 25 years since they hit the, the, the ultralight and light experimental market. So, uh, that's, but, you know, we're just kind of blue sky in here. We, yeah. You know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but, uh, yeah. but that fun. need for payload, you need it to be able to carry two people in full fuel. Yeah. It's going to be it doesn't fun. have to carry a lot of luggage, but it needs to be able to carry two people in full fuel. Moving on. Let's see what's... Oh, so I think you guys get together, like, yeah. in, in the virtual hangar before I arrive or something, all right, and say, say, and I think maybe even a pool, see how long, how, how long can we get Jack to go with forgetting to huh? introduce himself at the beginning of the pool. <laughs> There's Curses, no Jack foil H like again. our Jack H. I, 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 you know, I rely on you guys to back late, me up late, on this. You know, and uh, this, this, we'd like to introduce you to Jack Hodgson. This, He's our this producer, is, founder, this, creative director. He's the this is seven, 17 minutes, and and I still we we still can't break twenty. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're, that's what you're shooting for. I am Jack Hodgson. Eighteen Hodgson. minutes in the pool. I am Jack Hodgson. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. There, got that out of the way. What's we can next? We, we can vouch for that. There's uh -huh. no Jack H like our Jack H. Right. So last Saturday, I went to the Yankee Ultralight Fly-in up here in Greenland, New Hampshire. Oh, very I, cool. I, I had to go. I had a blast. What a you know. I usually go in past years. It's a, it's one of these sort of two weekend-long events where it starts on Saturday and goes to the following Sunday. And historically, for some strange reason, I've always gone on the closing weekend, and I've always said to myself, and it's fun enough on the closing weekend, but I've always said, I want to go on the opening weekend when it's really exciting. So I, I made sure to go uh, last Saturday, which was the opening day, and it was great. I mean, I went I went first thing in the morning, uh, I arrived about 9.30 or so, 10 o'clock. Did you drive? I did drive. I did drive. But... Uh, <laughs> Well, I was on my way up to. I had some other things going on in New Hampshire, so it was sort of on my way, and uh, so okay. I stopped in there. What's her, and uh, what's, her name? what's her name? I had my my mother, my mother. I was visiting my mother. All right, uh huh. Um, uh, yeah, who, who sadly does I've not, not used that before, Jack. Who sadly uh -huh. does, does not listen to the podcast. Um, it, it, either a mother or a cousin. Yeah, you know. So I stopped by uh, Sanderson Field in Greenland, New Hampshire, and uh, and and just spent uh, the morning watching the ultralights and uh, other small planes. There was a champ who was kind of working the pattern as well. And you didn't uh, get up in anything. What? No, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to fly. Uh, and uh, man, I know you are, you are so in need to be. A but I, I went and hung out, and I chatted with people along the flight line, and I watched kids watch the airplanes, and took a bunch of pictures. Which uh, one of these days, I've got a whole slew of aviation pictures I'm going to post on the on the website one of these days. But uh, I've got a bunch of pictures from the uh, Yankee Ultra Ultralight Fly, and uh, it was uh, uh, by all measures that I can that I've heard about a great success. And I want to congratulate the folks uh, who put on the Yankee Ultralight Fly, in which includes members of the local EAA ultralight chapter, um, which I think is also, uh, Dave, it's like the United States Ultralight Association or something like yes, that. Sir. And, uh, yes, sir. USUA. And I, I believe the same. The one chapter is kind of jointly uh, associated with both those organizations. And they put on the, uh, uh, along with a, a huge group of great volunteers, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, and uh, from everything I heard, the week went well. Although... 
Although, uh, the uh, off-field landing of the week comes from the uh, ultralight fly-in. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Now, well, originally, I wasn't... Ultralights with an off-field landing? That's I'm right. I'm stunned, shocked. <laughs> That's right. So, here we go. This is from a story in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Foster's Online website, which is the uh, local newspaper up there in Dover, New Hampshire. Foster's Online? Yeah, there's a link on the uh, story the page. Newspaper is Foster's? Yeah. I didn't know you could get beer online. I was going to say, I okay, cool. That's a great name. I think maybe one of the most noble applications of modern technology ever developed. If you can get beer online, <laughs> not shipped, but you know, out of the computer. Is like there a, a subject? Is there a subject that you guys can't like spin over to a conversation about beer? I don't know. <laughs> oh, sure. There's subjects we can talk about. Scotch. Jerry Jerry Facey of uh, Irving, Mass, was visiting the fly-in, uh, and uh, he was out having fun with his. Uh, Let's see, now I'm kind of trying to read throughout the story here. Anyways, I'll read the paragraph. He, he was flying his 28-foot-long, I'm reading from the story, reading his, flying his 28-foot-long ultralight plane about 500 feet uh, when the engine failed. He was flying about uh, out over the ocean, uh, Hampton Beach, a really beautiful place to go flying over. And uh, he turned towards the beach and uh, landed in the water about 100 to 200 yards off the, sh- off the beach, uh, south of the jetty, it says. And almost immediately, a good Samaritan in a boat pulled him out of the water. Um, and uh, when I first heard this story, I thought, good. The guy came out, you know, swam away from it. You know, any landing you can swim away from, I guess. Um, uh, (laughs) But I thought that this doesn't qualify as the off-field landing of the week because I'm thinking this this had to bend up the ultralight. But the story, the follow-up story, which is the one that I'm reading from, um, says that that there was minor damage to the uh, aircraft and they uh, got it out of the water and he's planning to repair it and fly it again. So, uh, yeah, I was going to say that. uh, uh, Good luck with that. It's uh, a piece of piece of cake. You you do well, have to rinse the salt water out of the engine and uh, and lubricate it really well. But uh, if it's a two stroke, it's it's really a non event. Well, well it's I, a I, would, I would neck. I would go with that, but I still want to maybe uh, you know just I don't know uh, salt water dunking even for a couple of seconds is not going to be good for the airplane. And, well, you uh, get it out, and you wash yeah. the hell out of it with fresh water. And if it's yeah. a tube and rag, you know, Dacron, you blow out the inside of the tubes with fresh water until you're, you know, until you yourself are soaked to the bone from all the water you're dumping on it. Yeah. Uh, we speak from firsthand experience. Salt water, float plane, ultralight, uh-huh. Rotax engine. Oops. Uh-huh. Yep. And we flew it later the same day. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So congratulations to uh, Jerry Facey uh, for uh, being the off-field landing of the week, which is a dubious honor, but uh, but he's the Liter- one. Literally yeah. off-field. That's right, Very literally off-field. off-field, off-land landing. And, well, and, uh, and, and hats off to uh, his lady friend, Lisa, who uh, you know was uh, able to speak to the press on his behalf. And, uh, and willing to speak to the press, yeah. Yeah, really willing to speak to the press, yeah. And, you know, that flying off water is cool stuff. It, it really as is. It's, as long as you're equipped for it and plan for it. Yeah. Well, as long as the airplane is, is equipped to make more than one water landing, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. making water landings no trick. Yeah. Taking off the water, that's, that's right. where the equipment really comes <laughs> That's in. right. Even my airplane's good for one splash, but after yes. that, you know... Uh, yeah, I'll tell you. When I lived out in California, the most spectac- one of the most spectacular, just kind of sightseeing flights you could make would be to fly out over the coast and fly up and down the, uh, the uh, you know, west coast, the Pacific Ocean, and uh, you know, and I wouldn't go out very far, of course, but uh, you know, I'd get sort of far enough out over the water so that I could, you know, yeah. from from the, so that the near side uh, of seat could see the shoreline, and uh, well, for the first, um, it's really first spectacular. 
for the first time in my career, I flew an airplane for an article and never made a land landing. Yeah. That's right. You want to tell all, us all about the, that? All, all the time I've got in seaplanes, and it's mainly as, as a back seater or a right seater, uh, it's about the third most fun I've had in an airplane. Uh-huh. Splashing and in and on and off the We know what the other two are. Well, I, I, I wasn't going to say. Be careful because Dave's I, mother is listening. Okay. Yeah, okay. Dave's mother, yeah. Well, well no, that's Mrs. Okay. Higdon, it's, it's not it. what you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dave, tell us. Can you talk about this? One of the reasons we had to reschedule from Thursday morning is that you got a is because uh, I was in. Recall. You got a photo gig suddenly and had to had to to uh, wing off. To can you tell us about that? Oh, it was a, uh, a lovely little jaunt down to St. Petersburg. Land, uh, you know, took the uh, took the uh, uh, Air Tran Airways version of the human mailing tube. Uh, that's a Boeing seven one seven out of Wichita and a seven thirty seven out of Atlanta. Uh, at the end of the day, I really like the former more than the latter, uh, <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, met up with the, the fine folks from uh, Sport Air Aviation. Air Sport Air Aviation. Spit it out, dude. Another beer. Uh, and the Corsario is a Brazilian design. It's an amphib, side by side, bolt hull. But the uh, what makes it a little bit unique is that it's on tricycle gear instead of tailwheel, and it uses what the manufacturer calls a hard wing. And what they call a hard wing is a uh, tubular spar, front spar, rear spar structure uh, with uh, pressed aluminum ribs, uh, fiberglass leading edge, and uh, covered in stitz uh, polyfiber, hmm. and finished off like a conventional fabric airplane. Instead of uh, Dacron cloth stretched over a... Uh, a a, a, a truss-braced rectangular frame with uh, flexible ribs inserted in the sailcloth. Um, fairly nice little airplane. Fairly nice little airplane. Cool. Uh, we'll the totality totality of what we thought in the magazine article. Yeah. But uh, it, not 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 something that uh, had any anything that would make you want to shy away from it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, we did all the landings either off of uh, Lake Seminole, uh, Boca Ciega Bay, or the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. Wow. yeah my, my next airplane, if I, if I get out of the business of, or I won't call it business, but if I get out of the use of, of flying an airplane for transportation, if I got out of that and got another airplane, it would be something like an, an LSA on floats. Yeah, uh, that, you know, that would be most fun. That would be well, fun. Go for, go for an amphib. You get so much oh, yeah, efficiency. Yeah, I, I, I would want the amphib. Rather than an LSA with, uh, right. you know, with uh, right. floats, even amphib floats on it. Right. And uh, the uh, the toughest part of this whole assignment yeah. was that so much of the uh, so much of the demo flight uh, had to take place over a place called an area called Johns Pass, which is where the uh, Boca Ciega Bay empties into the Gulf of Mexico. Uh-huh. Bars and food the wazoo, and at 600 feet, you can really smell the clams being cooked and the lobster being broiled, and it just oh, makes it hard disgusting. as hell to concentrate. I hate that's it when that happens. Yeah, yeah. Of course, such the a hard life. The little airplane was non-existent. So right. it, it's it's such a hard life you have, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somebody's got to do it. Yep. Yeah. 
Moving on. Let's see. Now, we're going to be back um, with another episode of the podcast pretty quickly. Uh, probably go on the internet uh, Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday night. Um, it'll be number 38, and it will be the official uh, uh, Uncontrolled Airspace Air Venture preview, um, where we're going to do some fun stuff and talk about what our expectations are and the things we're looking for and uh, possibly have some uh, some some fun guests that, to talk about uh what we're all going to see out in Oshkosh. So that'll be uh, episode number 38 and it will be early next week. It will, it will be, like I said, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Uh, yeah, so watch on, for that. Running a little ahead of schedule because all of us got a boogie to Wisconsin. Yeah. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's yeah. Right. Um, it, for the record, Dave and I will be out there on Thursday. Uh, right. yep. Jack is arriving the next day. Yep. And uh, it'll all be downhill from there. That's right. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, uh, uh, just uh, and we're going to talk a lot about <laughs> what's that? <laughs> what was that, Dave? What did you I say, said, Dave? Speaking of downhill, is yeah, that that's right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, we're going to talk a lot about uh, uh, Air Venture 2007 next week, but I do want to remind folks of a couple of things uh, quickly, uh, and that is again to remind you that we're going to be participating in uh, the uh, Pilot Cast podcasts. Podcast of Palooza, uh, <laughs> which will be held uh, on Say that really fast Friday. Yeah. Isn't it the other way around? Though? Aren't they participating in our podcast? No, no, no. 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 I'm, I'm very grateful for them to them for to, for jumping in and doing this. Um, it was all their idea. They were way. I mean, we were thinking of it kind of simultaneously, but it turned uh-huh. out that they were like a step ahead of us uh, they, in they terms of coordinating the with the forums folks, and so they they worked out the uh, the uh, coordination with the EAA uh, Air Venture Forums program. On, on the other hand well yeah so i'm going to come to that but let me just complete is. the thought here uh, a reminder that um, if you're out there at air venture uh, on friday afternoon 5 30 p.m in forum building number two is the big uh, podcast uh, the gathering of the aviation podcasters uh, we're going to be there and a bunch of other aviation podcasters are going to be there and uh, there's going to be plenty of room for a live audience that, if you want to come and that, listen that's, in that's and, friday the 27th that's folks, right for those of you that need a calendar so, uh, like i do we look forward to we've already heard from uh, a bunch of our listeners uh, we're looking forward to meeting in person and uh, the more the so come on out there on Friday afternoon. Um, I, I, by the way, it's almost certainly going to be Friday afternoon, but these things have a tendency to change. So make sure you check the forum listings like in the AirVenture Today or on the website uh, prior to Friday bef- to make sure it hasn't moved or, or whatnot. Right. The podcast of Palooza is supposed to be in the uh, online schedule. So <laughs> Right. But um, the really exciting news uh, is uh, we've been planning all along to do two episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace while we were in Oshkosh, one at the beginning of the because show and one at the end of the show. we are just such hanger-flying masochists. That's right. And uh, um, we've been talking with our friends out at EAA and trying to kind of come up with a really interesting venue and, and way of doing it. And uh, we finally finalized the details in the last couple of days. And we're oh, really, cool. really excited to say that, that uh, similar to what we did down in Lakeland, we're going to work in Oshkosh with EAA Radio, the... Uh, the live radio station that broadcasts throughout the week, and uh, we're going to have uh, we're going to do an episode on Monday afternoon, the twenty third, and that'll be r- after the air show concludes. We're going to do uh, an episode number, uh, I guess that'll be thirty nine, uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, trust anybody over thirty nine. The three of us and uh, and some other guests that we're going to bring in some surprises, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That'll be episode number thirty nine on Monday, and then on Sunday, the final day of Air Venture two thousand seven. July 29th. 29th, episode number 40. Um, we're going to be doing it at uh, at 9.30 in the morning. That was sort of the... We wanted to get it done early anyways because it's... Well, that's kind of, the official over the hill because we'll be 40. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, that's 
So, uh, so we're gonna, <clears throat> we're going to be recording. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting live on EA Radio and recording for posting a little bit later on, uh, starting at nine thirty a.m. We have on that Sunday. frequency for the for our folks. Yes. Now, um, and it's last year it was AM twelve ten, and it almost certainly will be the same frequency, but. These things. Yeah, they usually issue yeah. those licenses. To, you know, yeah. at, at so AM twelve ten. So uh, now, unfortunately, we don't know exactly where we're going to do this. We're probably going to do it from their studio, which is out there on the flight line. But the studio doesn't lend itself to having a studio audience, so we won't be able to invite people in to participate, um, at least audience wise. So, uh, but if you're out there, yes, we don't think so. There, you know, we we, yeah. we always. You know, hold out hope for miracles. Right. So if you want, if you're out there, um, check uh, our website and check all the other listings at their adventure um, for a change to that. Maybe maybe we might find a location outside where we could do it. But uh, but we're probably going to do it inside. But of course, if you're out there, you can listen in live on AM twelve ten to EA Radio. Um, in past years, and I assume they're going to do this again. They've actually done, live streamed the radio station on the internet. So um, if you're out there with an internet connection or if you're at home, uh, wherever, uh, you could uh, listen in to EA Radio all throughout the week and hear what's going on at AirVenture. And on those two particular times. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Those two particular times you could listen in to the, uh, to, as we do the podcast. So uh, we want to thank uh, all our friends at EAA, in particular Steve Boos um, of the EAA staff and of the, uh, I believe he's the chair of EA Radio, or at least he's one of the leaders of EA Radio, Fareed. And I haven't heard his last good. Gaillot, I think is his last name, uh, Farid Gaillot, uh, and Steve Boos, uh, thank you very much for their help and their cooperation and their uh, their hospitality. They're, they've been very welcoming. And, uh, Steve, and Steve, just you know, for the record, first beer at Herbie's is on me. There you yeah. go. There you go. Definitely well, on us. Once again, we've brought it back to beer. The world is con- freaking lately. The we, world we've, is, come, we've come full circle. The world is back well, in I mean, balance. What, what, what is hangar flying without liquid refreshment? There you go. There you go. Yes. You know, it's just a bunch of old women sitting around an airplane. That's right. Nothing. Hey, I resemble that. Women, but we got one interesting bit of audio feedback uh, this past week, uh, and uh, I've actually, I'm not going to. We're going to save part of it to play uh, during the Air Venture preview because it's really uh, appropriate for that. Um, but we want to thank uh, listener Lyndon from Michigan who sent in uh, feedback. We've actually posted the entire of his audio feedback uh, in the blog on the website. So if you'd like to hear in advance. Uh, what Lyndon's uh, comments were, you can go to the blog, and we'll be playing uh, at least a portion of that in uh, the next episode as part of our AirVenture preview. So, uh, moving on here. Um, Dave, you posted this as a story list, something about high-tech does not a smart pilot make. Yeah. the uh, when, when, when you hang around with a bunch of pilots in a place like Wichita, you hear all these debates about, uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, not to use you know an eighty-five cent word, but the efficacy of class cockpits, you know what what a lot of people call technically advanced aircraft, uh-huh. and uh, as with any major advance, there's some guys that think it's you know the greatest thing since uh, uh, since the VOR, and others that think that it's uh, just another way to confuse pilots and get them to screw up. Uh, because of the high profile of some of the new models that sport the kind of electronic panels that we're talking about here, there's begun to develop a little bit of mythology, in my word. Mythology? That, uh, mythology that these new airplanes are, uh, and, and pick which side you want to fall in. They're either the answer to all of our problems and make everybody that flies them safer and, and more aware, or they confuse pilots and lead to more accidents than they would have had 
had they stuck with the old mechanical gyros and you know the six pack stack or and three they, they they instill you know more confidence in the pilot than the pilot is able to that's to true when one's head overloads slot. one yeah. log book. it's over his head easily yeah you don't want your head to overload your logbook uh sure and you see, Jack, I did keep it clean. You didn't have to use the beeper. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate but, uh, the good it. Folks at, uh, the good folks at the AOPA Air Safety Foundation uh, kind of uh, did a little study of this. And what they found was that the, uh, the kind of cockpit had less to do with the likelihood of a you know, moderately low-time pilot having a serious accident. Uh, it was judgment, not whether it was mechanical gyros in a six-pack or an all-electronic with PFDs and MFDs and all this stuff. Uh, their accident rates were fairly comparable based on the amount of time and experience. And it goes back to what you know a very seasoned old pilot told me 25 years ago, very early in my aviation career. So you can go to all the schools in the world. But until you've got to survive the, uh, the school of hard knocks, and in aviation they call that experience, you don't develop the judgment that it takes to make good on-the-fly decisions, no pun intended. And, and the, uh, the idea that TAAs, technically advanced aircraft, are uh, some boon to civilization is not bearing fruit, but at the same time... Uh, the old stuff isn't uh, doing any worse. It's coming yeah. down to how much experience the aviator has sure. and what kind of judgment they exercise, and that's not really surprising. No, it's not. And, and uh, whether it's a 30-year-old Cessna, a brand-new uh, uh, Cirrus, or something in between, if you, you don't pay any attention to uh, what the weather's telling you and what the airplane's telling you, you'll get in over your head just as easily. Well, my, my, I still remember... It's so vivid, it's spooky. The uh, the comment from my uh, from my FAA uh, check airman on my instrument check ride. Uh, we're walking back into the op shack. We've been out almost two and a half hours. It's well after dark. It's hot. We're both whipped, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just don't know. Felt like I did it all right. Uh-huh. But he's the guy that's got a rule, and as we're walking in, I finally kind of said, well, question mark, and he stopped me, and he said, oh, you're an instrument, you know, you're, you're instrument rated. You're not an instrument pilot. Only experience makes you an instrument pilot, but mm-hmm. you've got the rating to go out there and learn you know, from your own mistakes. And, uh, you know, if you show the kind of judgment that you showed tonight, You'll probably live to be a pretty good instrument pilot uh, if you start making goofy decisions. Well, see, and that's one party got tonight. Then uh, you won't last very long. What's that, Jeb? Uh, something about being a pretty good instrument-rated pilot. I figured that's what the guy got wrong. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. You I, know. I was thinking what he was about to say was that that you'll live to be a pretty old instrument pilot, which has yeah. certainly turned out to be true. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I was a fairly old pilot when I got my estimate rating. You, so. you, worked, you worked hard for that, didn't you? Hey, you know. <laughs> Should have seen it coming. So don't rely too heavily. Use the, tool, use the new technology as a, as, a, as a valuable tool, but don't rely on it. It's not going to save your life in the final analysis, right? No, it can sure go a long way to, uh, it can sure go a long way to uh, uh, improving your situational awareness. 
to uh, making it a little easier to keep the airplane right side up when everything around you is trying to make you upside down. But by the time you've gotten to that point, you really, really need to think about the decision-making process that lets you get to that point. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not all of them are avoidable. Lord knows I had a very friendly air traffic controller try to steer me around level four weather some years ago and succeeded into steering me into something that wasn't visible on his radar scope. And uh, it was one of those flights that defies the description, a bad day flying beats a good day working. (laughs) I'd have rather been working. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we'll put a link to this uh, AOPA story uh, on in the show notes, and uh, I think it's a good lesson to to learn. What else? And, I know, promise we were going to love the one you're with, man. Fly what you fly, fly it really love good. You're with. There and, you go, and, and you'll you, you'll become an old bold pilot. There you go. Well, I promise we were going to keep this one short, and we're on the verge of not doing that. Um, that's everything on my list. Do you guys have anything else? Anything else you wanted to uh, touch on before we finish up? Yeah, here? let's stick a fork in it. Let's get geared up for Monday. Okay. We'll be back in a couple of days uh, with our official Oshkosh preview episode, and uh, we hope you'll join us for that one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you can uh, learn more about Jeb and his uh, work and activities at Jeb Birdside. Well, why you'd want to, I have no idea. JebBirdside.com <laughs> or AviationSafetyMagazine.com or or avweb.com. We got a piece of email this week. You saw that from a guy who said, I subscribe to Aviation Safety Magazine because uh, I listened on the podcast. And I'm going, yes. Uh, all right. Yeah, I did go. not see that. Is that in the, is that in the I was, I, email you downloaded earlier? Yeah, I, I forwarded it to you guys uh, a couple of days ago. And, yeah, uh, I saw that. Yeah, so uh, see, it's working. Well, uh, uh, thank him no, and thank, thank you for bringing that up. And yeah. I'll look forward to and seeing you, that email. That's right. Just and, once again points out there's just no accounting for judgment. Right. <laughs> And learn, more, and learn more about Dave Higdon uh, at DaveHigdon.com, who I'm sure has uh, – we've heard about people who uh, can't wait to get their issue of kit planes every week, every month. So uh, so uh, th- there you go. And, 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 uh, and, and, and to the gentleman that, that tracked me down after reading a quote of mine in, uh, in a Lakeland Ledger article, uh, after consulting with uh, a half a dozen flight instructors – uh, I'm, I'm even less apologetic about it being quoted as saying, if you have an engine failure and a twin, you're in for the flight of your life. Yeah. Because there wasn't a one that thought it was as non-consequential as you seem to. Well, that's a whole subject, and we're going to put that on the list for a couple of weeks from now, because I want to talk about uh, that. But uh, yeah. But not today. And I'm Jack Hodgson. You're not going to trip wait, 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 me. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on a second. Someone tracked down Higdon? Man, I, I, can think, I, I can think of a 20 different state uh, constabularies been trying to do that for decades. And haven't, haven't succeeded haven't yet. Haven't succeeded yet. I'm well, amazed. Let me, put it, let me put it in these terms. Not since I left being a reporter for a community daily newspaper have I come away from a phone conversation with so many teeth marks on my ass. <laughs> and, I, had a, uh, I had a conversation last week with a reporter down in Florida about that uh, that 310 that went in to, to some houses outside it wasn't of Sanford. Was it Rick, was it? Say that was again? It, was it Rick? No, no, it was a local reporter in Florida. Well, this for the, I'm sorry. No, this is, this is a woman. This is a woman. Okay, okay, because the reporter that called me and quoted me was uh-huh. also a reporter from Florida. Huh. Huh. Uh, oh, you, you know, I, he's, his name's public record, Rick Rousseau. 
of the Lake oh, Ledger. I know Rick. No, it wasn't Rick. We we met we met Rick at Sun and Fun last year. Right. Well, um, Rick's been covering Sun yeah. and Fun for the Lakeland paper for about ten years. So when an right. airplane crashes, they think he knows something about airplanes. Yeah. Which yeah. he's the first to tell you. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And he called well, me, I, and I, I, I said something that somebody that. took great exception to. And uh, the, the farther I, away I get from it, uh, the less sorry I am for what I was quoted well, as saying. They, they called me because we had, in aviation safety, I should say, had back in maybe the May issue, um, May or June issue, had, had published a list of the top or the, the busiest top 20 in, in activity non-towered airports in the country. The first two were in Florida. The first one was Flagler County, and apparently this was a, a local area newspaper in Flagler County, uh, Florida, and said, you know, we understand you published this list, and said, well, we published FAA information that's readily available. Oh, and and that kind of took the <laughs> took the wind out of her out of her uh, sails, but uh, we had a nice yeah, chat. She, was, she was looking at industry magazine rates, yeah. airport such and such. Yeah, and 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 I said, well, you know, even even if the airport, uh, even if you're, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't really understand the question. I said, even <laughs> if there was a, a a control tower, even if the airplane crashed into the control tower. You know, it wouldn't matter because control tower can't do a thing to help somebody who's on fire. Yeah, you know, and, and this it's not, was it's the not, it's like, okay, great. You know, that was the unfortunate uh, aspect of this accident. But well, the, all the control towers in the world are not going to help you in that instance. The, d- the day after the accident occurred on which I commented, a second twin crashed in central Florida. Uh-huh. And this time took out two houses and a total right. of five people, two on the sure. aircraft, that, three on the That's crown. the one I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, well, mine was the day before. It was a yeah. twin Comanche. Ah. And uh, uh, it was uh, trying, apparently, trying to make it back to South Lakeland Air Park, which you uh-huh. and I and, uh, are sure. familiar with because that's where a lot of the LSAs and light experimentals go to do demo flights during sun and fun. And uh, apparently the, uh, the pilot had an engine problem at 1,500 feet and tried to make it to South Lakeland and wound up crashed on a road at a fairly severe nose-down attitude. Ouch. No post-crash fire. No idea what went wrong, but when Rick called, Rick was looking for some, what's the word I want, enlightenment on (laughs) what the difference is between an engine problem in a single versus an engine problem in a twin. And, you know, is, is anybody that's rated and anybody who's not rated but has got a little time in a twin probably understands, if you have an engine failure in a light twin, the second engine is there largely to get you to the scene of impact because most of them won't hold altitude on one engine. Second, you've got a very short period of time to do a number of things in exact sequence very well. Or that airplane's going over on its back. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I'm going totally to... I'm going to take partial exception, and we can talk about this in the next episode, but... Uh, um, partial exception to which part? Partial exception to twins are hard to fly. They are harder on a single engine than a single is on a single engine. Absolutely. But but they are they are not impossible. No, they're it not. Take, it, it takes training and it takes study and it takes dedication. But it's and, not and, impossible to do and, it. And and practice. But my yeah. my point was that the margin for error. Yeah. 
is very small. It's it's smaller. It's well, there is no margin and error with a single. You're in, you you've become a glider. Well, now you're looking it, for a hole to put it in. Right. There's right. no issues of handling. There's no issues of asymmetrical thrust, uh, higher stall speeds, uh, critical versus non-critical engine. It's a completely different beast. Uh, and my point was that, you know, that's what they train to. That's the primary content of multi-engine training is what to do when things go bad. Uh, but it is not the walk in the park that my critic seemed to think it was, uh, at least not according to the five flight instructors, three flight safety guys that I've talked to since the, uh, since the time I got the criticism. Uh, all of them went 1,500 feet, 2,500 feet. Uh, losing an engine in a light single, 160 horse per engine single, uh, you, you, you're talking a major issue. Yeah, I, I'm a long way from being a twin pilot, but everything I've ever heard and been told puts me more in Dave's camp, I think, that uh, you know, because well, isn't it the case that statistically most engine failures happen on takeoff? I, I, it is. I've heard a number like that, and that's, and that's absolutely the worst time to lose an engine on a twin, right? Well, it, it is. is. It is, yes. There's no question about that. And but that wasn't with, the case in this instance. It wasn't the case in, this, this, in either right. instance. Yeah, uh, in those particular cases. Right. But this, right. this is the kind of thing that sobers me up about being, being, getting, you know, learning how to fly twins. Oh, the, the other the one was, and this is kind of a weird statistic, okay? Here we go. Whatever the percentage is likelihood that you're going to lose an engine on your single, having two engines actually doubles the chance that you're going to lose an engine. Well, here's the statistic that one of my flight safety uh, uh, friends uh, uh, imparted to me uh, in the last 24 hours that I'd completely, completely vaporized on, and that was the, uh, the, the fatal or injury accident rate for an engine failure in light twins versus an engine failure in singles, oh, yeah. Yeah. and it's almost double yeah. mm -hmm. against the twin. And I don't really need any more evidence than that to, to, to stand behind my comment and say, you, you, you've got a major issue on your hands. Uh, the risk to your life goes up so much. If you have a, a, just statistically based, the risk to your life goes up so yeah. much if you have an engine failure in a twin versus an engine failure in a single. Jim, well, you, you want to put the I, final I, word yeah, on this, please? Yeah. Uh, there's no statistic for the number of engine failures in a twin. Uh, we don't know, for example, the number of engine failures that have occurred in which nothing happened, in which there was no That's reportable true. event. That's so, to, to, to except they, engine it, failures have to get reported. No, engine failures do not have to get reported. I thought any kind of major problem like that had to get reported. Um, I the the engine problem I had several years back was not a reportable event. Mm hmm. It's but only that, if, if, but if I wasn't flying the airplane. Right. Yeah, I wasn't flying the airplane again for a long time. Right. It's right. what but is there it? Was it's, not, if there's, it was not a reportable event. If there's property that's, damage or injury or death, right? That's uh -huh. that's sort of the rule uh -huh. of thumb. Property damage exactly. above a certain level. Well, we can go back and read the regs at NTSB, but the punchline is, I'll bet you dollars to donuts, there's a lot more engine failures in twins out there and in singles, for that matter, than yeah, we know reported. about. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. but I, let's I, I let's 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 get out of here and let's let's talk about this some more next week. Yeah, we should put this is an interesting subject and we should talk about it some more. Well, um, you know what what's what's really nice is we're close to going back to our normal issue. Yeah, I know. I was thinking this is the uh, <laughs> the podcast that didn't want to end. It's a good here. thing we kept this one short, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's I right. Know, really. That's right. And the problem is that I'm out of beer. 
<laughs> well, what? then we've got to stop then. Quick. Oh, oh, call call nine one one. Oh no no, there's more in the fridge. It's just in the next building. That's right. Yeah, I mean, what would hanger flying be without a brew? Yes, I, I've I've got my drink of choice sitting right here. Also, that's right. Oh, you got your makers, Jeb Burnside at jebburnside.com, Dave Higgin at davehigdon.com. I'm Jack Hodgson at jackhodgson.com. Also, There's around the no field. Jack H like our Jack H. You can find us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. Please oh. keep those cards and letters coming. Put a fork that's in it, everybody. We're done. Thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you I, all again I next time. That sticks. <laughs> what was that? He said, put a fork in it. We're done. I said, ow, that oh, sticks. Yeah. Still are trying to hang on. Somewhere we lost the key. So little left for you and me. And it's clear to see. Too much, too little, too late to lie. Too little, too late to try again with you